counted us down, folks. I counted us down twice. The first time, though, I called you a dirty name because you did it backwards. Uh, this is another episode of Missouri Swagger, episode 16, which should, we should be on episode like 30 by now. But it's we episode sweet 16, Dennis. Yes, sweet yes. 16. Super sweet 16. I'm Dennis Hopeless. That's Colin Bunn. Wave at the folks. Don't count again. Wave. I'm not counting. I'm giving them a, a, a one? Big, little China kind of power symbol. Nobody wants that. Uh, so, yeah, we're back. Um, hopefully, we're back to be more consistent. We had a rough November in it. We finally recorded an episode, and for some reason, you waited like nine days to put it up. It made me created a lot of anxiety. Oh, so you know why? why? You know, because I really wanted to hear your judgy. I wanted to get a bunch of judgy texts from you <laughs> all you day long, it? every day. It's okay, Dennis. You know, I, I got things to do, too. Did I you posted a goddamn video. <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> I was thinking I was thinking I was going to ask for a, um, a GoPro and a uh, lav mic for Christmas this year from people so that I could uh, have a better setup. And then I realized I'd have to learn how to use those things. <laughs> and I'm not sure that I that they probably just stay in the box. I'm going to ask for Shogun Warriors and Micronauts. Well, that sounds like you. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. All right, Dennis. So we got questions, just a few questions to start us off. I like this. We have just a handful of questions. We're going to rapid fire them, and then we can talk about some other stuff. All right? Yes. Does that sound good? Sounds great. First question, Dennis, why are you the worst person ever? And I'm just kidding. That wasn't a question. Yeah. All right. First question comes from Jay Dunn. Jay Dunn, who I often call Sweetbeard. Did you meet Sweetbeard? I think I'd remember, but probably. <laughs> I bet you've met, you've met him. I think he shaved the beard, but the first year Brian Hurt and I met him, he was at uh, Planet Comic Con, and he had like a sweet beard. So we just started, we couldn't remember his name that first year, so we just started calling him Sweetbeard. So you sexually harassed this man at Planet no. Comic Con, and would, it made him uncomfortable, not. and then we, he shaved his beard. We named him for a compliment, Sweetbeard, because he has sweet beard. And then he shaved the beard off, but he's still sweet beard. Still sweet so, beard to us. There's a, there's a local wrestler in Iowa City that Aaron Gillespie berated as rat beard from the crowd so many times that he shaved his beard off. Like well, the next time uh, Aaron went to an event, which was the other day, he shaved it. And so then Aaron called him shaved rat for the entirety of that. That might be why Jay shaved that beard, because we called him sweet beard. <laughs> you, you, I think that you did. I think you, you me too did. All right, well, Jay, my apologies. Sorry about that. But here we go. Are there any genres that we have not written? Let me read this question again. Hold on. <laughs> Are there any genres you haven't written but want to try? Genres. What do you think, Dennis? Do you have a genre you want to write? I mean, yeah. <laughs> All right, there you go. Yeah. I would like to write... Honestly, the, I'd like to do something that's just slice of life. Like, I'd like to do something that is very, yeah. um, you know, no sci-fi, no fantasy. Um, it's it's hard because my fan base is largely comes from my Marvel work. So those people are into genre stuff. So most of my my work has a, a genre bent to it. But I think it'd be really fun um, to write something that's just a little bit more straightforward. Like, like a rom-com. I want to write a rom-com. Yeah, see, I could see you writing a, a rom-com. I think you, I, I mean, and I said, when I say that, I mean, I think you do really well at it. 
Um, Which we, any other genre, like Marvel comics cover that your bases. If you've done an ongoing, you've done a horror story, a sci-fi story, a action adventure story, a crime story. Cause when you write superheroes, that's like, those are the paints. You yeah. Have. But I'd like to, I'd like to do, like you said, I'd like to do something that doesn't have any, uh, any, uh, speculative aspect to it. You know, I'd, I'd like to do, uh, uh, a sli- like a slice of life or a story of my life or, you know, my dad's life or something like that. The only thing is there's so much weird stuff that it's going to seem a little uh, supernatural anyway, like magic realism or something. Right. Um, yeah. So- like I have a story coming that I'm, I'm working on uh, from God knows when that's based on my, my parents' life um, from when they were young. But right. my dad was a little bit of a criminal. So you could make an argument that that is a crime genre a story. Crime. Yeah. Well, I guess what we've settled on is eroticism. That's the only... Uh, That's, well, yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah. I have zero interest in that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Next question. Kirk Spencer asks... Uh, actually, his full name right now is... What is this? Uh, Kirk Spencer needs money for comics. Anyway, Kirk Spencer asks, did you read any war comics when you were growing up? Were you fans of Sergeant Rock? When I was growing up, I did not read war comics because I'm very much younger than Colin. And I was so far past all of the wars that they made comics about that they weren't making. them. I have since read a lot of war comics. And I actually read a bunch of uh, the Howling Commando stuff for uh, my Krakoa one shop, which you can still get in stores and should. Um, that came out this year. And I love that stuff. It's, it's, it's really fun. I mean, I read a bunch of Sergeant Rock to, uh, when I worked at a comic shop, we had a collection. So I re- I've read a bunch of that since, but as a child, no. Yeah. I read a lot, uh, because like you said, I'm older than you. So I was getting them, you know, you know, garage sales and stuff like that pretty consistently read a lot of Sergeant Rock. I think, uh, I like Sergeant Rock, but, uh, the haunted tank was my, uh, was my favorite uh war comic i have a i in my heart i have a great haunted tank story i want to tell if only people were still interested in such things um yeah uh haunted tank was my jam i read uh but i read a lot of the dc war comics i didn't read a lot of the like howling commando stuff i didn't read um uh, and it's weird because i've always felt like uh maybe it's because of the connection to nick fury I always felt like that wasn't uh, that wasn't gritty and warlike enough. Sergeant Rock and uh, Haunted Tank were much more uh, uh, gritty and, and realistic, in my opinion. So I like that. I mean, Howling Commandos is just Sergeant Rock, only Marvel, right? I know. Was, I, was, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying it was because of the the Nick Fury connection. I always thought it was a little more superheroic, even though I like all those characters. I didn't. Right. Uh, I didn't want to read their comics. I didn't want to read their war exploits. Damn it. Fair enough. Well, why don't you tell us, for, for those of us that uh, aren't members of the AARP, why don't you tell us what Haunted Take is about? Like that. What'd you say? <laughs> I'm not. Listen. <laughs> uh, what'd you say to me? No, um, Haunted Tank is, um, it's about a, a tank crew, you know, going through World War II. And uh, they're, I think at some point they might have been lost and they were just kind of wandering. They always seem to be wandering. But the tank was accompanied by this ghost of a Confederate general that rode his horse all around. And I think only one of the members of the crew could see him and uh, would talk to him. 
I just what? realized that the sun is going down, so I should be closer to I thought home. you were stepping up to me like, oh, how dare you no. say that about Haunted Tank. No, that's, uh, that sounds right. Sounds accurate. I, yeah. Anyway, it's a great comic. I would love to write a Haunted Tank story because I had, I mean, not just a story. I don't want a damn eight-page eight page special in the back of a comic. I want a Haunted Tank, epic Haunted Tank series. Three hundred powers that be sixty-five issues. Colin Bunn is hungry for that haunted tank. That's right. All right, next All question. Right. Next question. Damn it! All right, here it is. Why is my oh? Because it's over here. Next question. How come Dennis doesn't have any aftershock comics yet? Uh, that is a fine question. Uh, the the legitimate answer to that is that I'm not as prolific as Colin is, so I have never pitched um, an Aftershock comic. I, this next year, I'm going to get um, into doing more creator-owned, but my personal life's been kind of crazy for the last two years, and I've been <clears throat> just kind of focusing on getting the couple of creator-owned books I have going, going, and keeping my uh, freelance work uh, up. But, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I had a bunch of tiki drinks with Mike Martz at San Diego two years ago, and well, it was a delight. I can tell you they're great to work with. I love working with Aftershock. I love those guys. Hey, interesting. Speaking of Aftershock, look what came in the mail today. My, look at that. This is, look at this. Listen to this comic book as I punch it. That's a hardcover. So this is uh, the, the first volume of Witchhammer, my first uh, OGN from Aftershock. Isn't that pretty? Lovely. I like that cover. It comes out, I think, the 16th, maybe? No. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It comes out in a couple of weeks, uh, but uh, Dalibor Talajic and I did this uh, awesome comic. Got it today, like not two minutes before we started this recording. It came in the mail. Did you have a post-it note on that for when you were going to pull it up? So do, do you have it at the yeah. ready, or did it just occur to you as you were sitting there? It's just sitting here next to me, and we started talking about Aftershock. And I was like, hey, hey. All right. Yeah. No, well, I'm not opposed to it. Aftershock does a lot of good uh, books, and I've heard good things. The great thing about Aftershock is they take chances on crazy books, like crazy concepts sometimes, and uh, that, you, that no other publisher will accept, and they do great things with them. So uh, that was Ronnie Barron who asked that, Ronnie the Bear. Um, he also asked, what did we think of Pink, Pink Moon Moonshine and the Lucifer Bourbon? I didn't try the bourbon. The moonshine was awesome. I mixed it with uh, Arizona brand... Um, Arnold Palmer in a can and made, uh, yeah, made like boozy lemonade tea. It was very good. So I have unfortunate news What about the Lucifer head splitter bourbon. Did you break it? No. Um, I think that the cap or something, some air or something got into that batch because it was, it wasn't bad bourbon. It was rancid. It was, I mean, it was undrinkable. Like it had spoiled or something. Like when we opened the bottle, we were going to make old fashions. We were going to do shots and we were going to try. We opened the bottle and the whole house, it was like a, a, a cloud came out of the bottle. So, uh, I How think. How long did you wait? Oh, not long at all. I don't wait too long to open a bottle of bourbon. I was excited to try You it. would think there'd be enough alcohol in bourbon. It couldn't go bad. That's weird. I'm telling you, there was something something I mean, I not right with it. So I still want to, it was skull splitter is what I tried. I think the I think the batch that we got the bottle from was not uh, was not a good, good. batch or something uh, because there's no way that 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 was what it was supposed to 
be like. But yeah, it was it was a there. I had five people with me, and I was like, "Let's try this," and we were like, "Yeah!" And then they were all like, "No, can't try it." So uh, hopefully, hopefully next time I'll get it and try it again. Sorry, Ronnie. Sorry for that unfortunate news. Final question. Oh wait, somebody replied to that. No, I guess not. Final question. Will there be another cave con next year? What are you cackling about? <laughs> Laugh it up, fuzzball. Yes, um, definitely there will be. It's going to be bigger and better than, than before. Hold on. Wait. Hold, <laughs> up. No hold up. <laughs> um, so I do not believe there will be a cave con uh, in 2019. I don't want to say there will never be another cave con. But I think saying 2019 is, is – is, we should have already had it uh, – if we were going to do it, we would already have guests lined up and everything. And we came out of that convention. Everybody was super excited. I think most of the vendors did very well. In fact, most of the vendors came out of the convention and said, uh, can we go ahead and reserve space for next year? And I think most of the creators did great. But uh, as a whole, the convention didn't do very well. And uh, I think I think Josh Roberts, who owns the Comet Cave and is my partner in CaveCon, uh, and I both need to refocus on some other things. Uh, right now, Josh is running. Speaking of uh, speaking of Josh in the Comet Cave, if you haven't been on GoFundMe, Josh is running uh, a GoFundMe project. Well, Josh isn't running it, but one of Josh's customers is running a, a GoFundMe to save the cave. Uh, Josh is kind of having some some rough times right now in the store, so uh, it's been a very successful GoFundMe for him so far. Um, but uh, uh, I think that it's it's a little ambitious to think we're going to do another CaveCon in 2019. I don't want to say never because we both really love the convention and have fun with it, but I don't know that it's our our best move because the one thing that neither one of us want to do is downgrade it. You know, we don't want to start with a big convention, and then the next year it's like a you know some convention in a hotel room somewhere. We want to continue to, you know, get bigger and better, and that's I don't think we're in a place where we can do that right now. But I can announce that on the same day next year, Colin Bunn will be opening up his house to the public, so you can no. come in, you can play with no. all of his toys, you can read all his comic books, you can sleep on his couch. That will that is definitely not happening. I felt like that's what CaveCon was to some degree because I had such a crowd of people at my house the entire weekend. It was for me. Yeah, well, that's no, we're not uh, we're not doing that. That's not happening. Don't come to my house. I mean, it is true that the first time I came to your house, I got uh, framed for armed robbery. It first of all, it wasn't armed robbery. We don't know. There was. There was well, no burglars. So but they also didn't take anything. Well, they were imaginary, so they might very well have been right. well armed. Yeah. It, it, anyway. Um, all right. So those are our questions. Good questions, folks. Thank you for for firing those off. We're always, you know, always want questions, and you can leave them in the comments and things like that. Um, what else do we want to talk about today, Dennis? Well, we can do we can do process. Uh, yeah. Let's talk some process. I, I have been working my little butt off. Uh, for the past two weeks, because I, I was, ch- as I mentioned, I think last time I spent most of the month of November lining up new work because I had two ongoings in at the same time and yeah. having, a, and then being out of town a ton. And all of those things came due at the same time. So right. I have been knee deep in comic book process for the past three weeks. Um, so I'm ready 
to talk about it. All right. Uh, do you remember we had we had follow up process questions last time? People wanted to know uh, about script format, which I thought was I found interesting. I know you don't think script format is interesting. I think it's interesting. And uh, and uh, can you attach files on YouTube? I don't know. You can show people. There's a bunch of good books out there. The reason that uh, script format isn't interesting to me is that when I was in college at a really good comic book store and they sold a book called Panel One, which had a bunch of sample scripts, comic book scripts in it. It was just a, I still have it somewhere. I think they made a second volume since then. But uh, it had a bunch of, yeah, different comic book scripts. And unlike screenplays, where the format of the script is very set in stone, and if you submit a script that is not formatted properly, it'll be thrown immediately in the trash. Yeah. Uh, comic book scripts, it doesn't matter. As long as it's readable, um, it's kind of just a letter to the creative team saying what you want and what you expect. And it can go, you know, it can be anything from a, a long paragraph that is pages one through four with some dialogue underneath it to a very screenplay style, page one, four panels, panel one dialogue. Um, yeah, no, it, uh, yeah, you're, there's really no set format for comic books, screenplays, uh, or not, I mean, comic book scripts. Uh, I have a couple posted on my website. So, and, and that's what I did too. When I, uh, started writing comics, I just, uh, I got a couple of Greg Rucka's scripts for queen and country. And I just, I just aped that style and just used that as my format and, and use that as my guide for how much information to put on a panel description and things like that. So I think it helps. Uh, I think I've got the script to the six gun on my website, maybe some others. So, you know, check them out. There's, and I just use, I don't use like a special program for my comic book scripts. I use word. I use word too. I know a lot yeah. of people use Scrivener. And stuff Scrivener. Like I tried Scrivener for about a month and a month it's time. cool because it will format your scripts for you. Right. But it t- there's a little bit of a learning curve to it as well. I, I came from, when I was writing scripts initially, I was writing for Kevin Mellon, who was my good friend who was in the room with me a lot when we were, when we were working. Right. And my whole thing was not wasting paper. So <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't indent anything. Uh, the dialogue would just be right underneath the panel descriptions. And Kevin would do this thing where he would read the panel description once and then mark out all my adjectives. So it was just the action, just whatever he cared about, which is very strange. You know uh, what? what? He described that to me years and years ago. At, I was at Chris Somney's house with him, and I remember him telling me. He didn't tell me it was your script, but I remember him telling me how he goes through scripts and scratches out all the anything that is unimportant to him and, and, and adjectives and things like that. So he was talking about you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he did that to everyone. It wasn't just me. Uh, but because of that, when I turned in my first Marvel script, um, Axel Alonso was kind of the person that shepherded me in and he took it and said, absolutely not. And made me like, you need to format this so the dialogue is uh, indented over and it's very easy to read off the page and you need to yeah. um, put page breaks in so that it, each page has its own thing. Um, so yeah. Axel is big on formatting. Uh, that, yeah, we say that the comic formatting doesn't matter unless you have an editor-in-chief who really cares about comic formatting. Right. Axel did. Yeah. He cared a lot. And he, uh, anyway, so I still use whatever format it was that he insisted upon. Uh, but I, I still write it the Kevin way. I, like I write it all in one thing that I can read. And then when I'm done, I go back through and format the whole thing in like a half an hour, which allows me to catch a lot of uh, typos and things because I kind of have to read through it to do it. Interesting. But, but yeah, it doesn't matter. 
And especially if you're you know, like a, a new creator who wants to make their first or second book or whatever, as long as the artist can tell, it's not going to matter because you're going right. to be showing the book to a publisher if it's a creator-owned book as a book, not as a script. So as long as your collaborators understand what you're saying, it's fine. Right. I know Chris Grind when he writes, I mean, it's because he draws them himself, but when he writes scripts, he takes uh, note cards, like five by 10 note cards or whatever they're, five by eight, yeah. uh, does thumbnails of the, of the book on it and then writes what he thinks it's going to say on the back. And then that's cool. he makes a giant stack. So when he's drawing the pages, that's his script page. Is that note card? I actually have a, I used to try to do with note cards and I have like, uh, it's called a note card bleacher that you can put on your desk and you can line your note cards up on it. So you can, you know, put them in an array and pull them off one at a time and type them up and everything. And, and I, I actually like that format or, or that process, but it, it, it takes so long. Some nerdy ass shit. Yes. All right. So you were hunting for work, you said, and that's actually what I've been doing this month. I feel like I haven't done as many scripts and I'm doing more, uh, uh, hunting for, for new projects. Writing proposals. Right. While I was writing proposals, I was, uh, following up with editors because I went to New York comic con for the first time with the explicit, uh, plan of talking to every editor I, I knew about what was coming next because right. New York Comic Con comes at the beginning of October. And if you've been in the, at least big two comics for enough years, you realize that come two weeks before Thanksgiving, you are not getting a job unless you already have it because Thanksgiving through new years, those editors are just trying to get books out with holiday scheduling and they're not, you know, like nothing new is happening. If it's not already in the works at that point. So the beginning of October is a really good time to get in there and be like, hey, what do you got? Um, to right. make sure you're not sitting idle through the most expensive part of the year. Um, so yeah, I went in looking for that. And I um, actually got a bunch of really interesting opportunities, including uh, Vader Darth Dark Visions, which just got announced. Yeah, I saw the announced. That cover's awesome. I love the cover with yeah, him. That Greg the- Smallwood cover with the... Yeah, yeah. Is that, yeah, it's Greg Smallwood. That's a great cover. Yeah. Love it. Um, and so, yeah, I actually wrote the second issue of that series this week. Nice. Um, so I got that. I have another cool um, superhero thing at Marvel that hasn't been announced yet that I'm working on. Uh, and then uh, a few things other places. But, yeah, huh. the bad thing. What? Good you for you. I, I told you. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> but the, the weird thing for me, and it probably isn't the case for you because you're so much faster than I am. But what happens when I go into a Jag Being where I do... don't matter when you ain't got the work, Dennis. Well, no, when I go in... Would you just let me talk? <laughs> when I go into a Jag where I'm doing lots of uh, pitching and lots of proposals and lots of talking to editors and lots of outlines, I don't write scripts. And so when it's been two, three weeks since I wrote a script, I sit down and write a script. And it's not like I forgot how, but it's certainly... I've forgotten how to do it quickly. So that yeah. script back is always a son of a bitch. It always takes twice as long as I think. So yeah, I, no, I, I, I get that. I'm on my third or fourth script back now, and I'm back to my normal pace. But for a minute there, I thought, oh, I'm just going to be destitute this year because I write a third as fast as I used to. Well, um, I, I don't know. You'll be fine. And I was just kidding about not having work. I got plenty of work. I know you have work. That's why I don't care. I have a new superhero thing getting announced next week. Uh, what is it? See how I said that? Superhero. I didn't Superhero. even say anything about publisher. Superhero. Is it 
Don't guess because you you may know, and Who's I don't want you spoiling it. Are you are you writing and drawing Captain Carrot? Oh my God! Wouldn't that be the best? <laughs> Not me drawing it, but that would be awesome. Uh, but yeah, a thing that I will say: a, a lot of creators have been on uh, Twitter and stuff talking about how to break into comics uh, yep. lately, which. I am lazy and don't actually care if you break into comics, so I don't ever participate in those things. Um, but I will say that one thing that I that you need to keep an eye on once you do get into comics is lining up your projects so that you don't yep. run out and always be pitching. Because like I have a couple of really cool shorter projects now, and I realize that like I'm going to be done with these relatively quickly, so I need to keep on, keep after the the proposals I haven't heard back on, and be reaching out as I'm working. Because there is nothing scarier than having two children and <laughs> rent to pay, and gas to buy, and food to buy, and having no income. Yeah, that um, happen if you don't line it up properly. Yeah, I've always I've always said that the thing that is uh, a, once you break in, that's great, and breaking in is difficult. Uh, and I didn't post anything about breaking in this time around either. I have done that year after year. I've posted numerous hundreds of thousands of, of pieces on how to break in. Um, but the thing that's more difficult than breaking in is staying in. It's very easy to get knocked right out, and it's uh, it can be like you said, not lining things up properly. It can be being a screw up. It can be whatever. So, right. You have a bad attitude. You, yeah, you, uh, well, and you can, I mean, you can knock yourself down a peg through no fault of your own. I mean, like I said, I had a rough couple of years personally and I slowed way down and, and uh, dropped a couple of balls. And I am just now getting to a place where editors who trusted me for years, trust me again, because you know, I proved myself to be untrustworthy for a hot minute. Um, and they knew why. And, you know, nobody blames you for it. But I blame you. not trusting you, even if they don't blame you and not giving you work, you still don't have the work. I and blame I you. About you, but I don't have a lot of skills outside of writing comic books. So it's not like I can go get some other job and pay for all this shit. You have many skills, Dennis. I'm sure you... I did. I, I may have told this story before, but I was walking. I go on a walk creative walk every morning on an hour long walk, which is when I talked to you and I was walking past the grocery store and power and light up here. And a man, a very well-dressed man with very nice hair stopped me. Did he do a little dance in front of you? No. And he said, where do you get your hair cut? And I told him, uh, which I get my hair cut at uh, roots and branches in the river market in Kansas city. Um, and he said so much. Of That's a fantastic head of hair and handed me his card and he was a stylist. <laughs> So uh, I hate so much (laughs) about the thing you choose to be. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, maybe I have, but the problem is my hair is so gray that I feel like I'm a, I'm a niche market. Like I can't go be in hair commercials because nobody wants uh, gray hair. Yeah. But my hair is too light for that. Just for a minute. I would have to darken my hair in order to just for a minute. I just got to deal with the gray. But one time, one time I was at a grocery store in uh, the desert um, near Coachella, and a woman stopped me in the grocery store. And asked where me, did you get your haircut? It's no, she, she asked me. Oh God! <laughs> she asked me if this was my natural hair color. How I got the little flecks of white in there? And I said, "Stress and children turn your hair white, ma'am," and walked away. She thought this was some fancy thing that I had done, and not just that I'm graying. Hey, Dennis, 
if you tell one more story about someone talking, stopping you and telling about how awesome your hair is, I'm going to reach through this camera and I'm going to knock every strand of hair out of your head. <laughs> Sorry. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it can happen. It's going to be like the ring only against your hair. You know, I have a photo of you with hair on my phone that we should put up on, on video at some point. No one wants to see that. And you got a mustache, too. You're a delight. No one wants to see that. That's not true. Tell us in the comments below if you want to see a picture of Colin from a few years ago where he has a mustache and a full head of hair. Also tell us in the comments below if you'd like someone to someone to sneak into Dennis's <laughs> apartment and shave his head in the middle of the night. No one's shave. No one do that. <laughs> I lock my door. All right. <clears throat> All right, All moving right. on. What else you got? What are we talking about? I process. Are we, what else? What other process things are there? What are we talking about? What do we tell people? Process-wise? I don't know. Hell. I have been working. So I've been working on, uh, it's the project. I can't, say, I can't say what it's for, but I've been working on a, uh, uh, a pilot screenplay that is finally off to network um, as of this past week. And I will tell you this from a process standpoint. It's a lot more grueling than a comic. <laughs> it's a lot of work. To write a pilot? Yeah. I mean, it's fun, and I had a great time doing it, but, uh, you know, you got a lot of, I, you get a lot of, a lot of eyes and a lot of feedback on it. So from, and you get that in comics too. So that's the other thing is be ready. You know, part of the process is dealing with the editors and dealing with their feedback and Axel Alonzo telling you that your format stinks in front of Rick Remender and a whole table full of other creators. Oh, I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something that's a process. Yeah, I, was, I was talking to, to Giantz about this, which uh, Giantz apparently wants me to tell stories that are more positive about him when I bring him up on here. Uh, well, you should. But we, why? I don't, I, you're my co-person. Co, We've talked are, about Jai twice. If this partners. is a positive story, then we'll have a 50% positivity rating. So you and I are, are partners and good friends. I name one of my children after you, and I never say anything positive about you. So why do I need to say positive things about other people? Because it's nice. Okay. I like your hat. Thanks. So anyway, Jai and I were talking about uh, first issues and first pages and, and, and first this and first that. And a thing that I always try to do, um, because I was taught this by like a fiction professor long ago, is I try to make the first panel or the first line of a comic very interesting to hook you. Because in Fiction Writing 101, like you want the first line of your book or your story sure. to grab the person and pull them through it. And I find a lot of comic books have very bland opening panels or silent opening panels. And it can be silent, like it can be an image that grabs you. It doesn't have to be the, the dialogue. But wherever the first line of dialogue or first caption falls, I always try to have it be weird or oh, interesting. Or Let's see. Yep. Very yep. Nailed it. What is it? I'm not telling <laughs> you. You want to read it, you got to buy that book. And I'm, I'm sure I, if, you know, people can prove me wrong. I'm sure there's plenty of comments where I didn't do it. But it is a thing that I try to do. And because you, you want... The open, I mean, it's why action movies start with those cold opens that are about nothing because they want to show you the cool, fun stuff up front before they have to set up right. the story that you're, you're there to tell. And comic book first issues are tough in that regard because they're 20 pages long 
and you have to sell you have to sell the people on the world and the premise that you've been telling them about in in previews and in interviews and in everything for months before the book comes out but then you also have to hook them with something new which i think is really difficult to do in 20 pages to like flesh out the world and show them the the promise you made in your advertising but then also twist it so that they're not like why well, already knew this from the ads um which is somewhat difficult to do so that that last part's the hard part for me i i find that a lot of times my first issue page 20 cliffhanger is just the culmination of what they could have figured out from the marketing i need to get better at like you know all of that's done by page 15 and the last five pages are setting up the the rest of the story or turning it on its head or giving them something new because that's what you, you really you hook them at the beginning with the first line and they make them want to read through it. And then that last beat has to be something new and interesting and it'll grab them. Well, I think that's, uh, yeah, you, you want, I've always said that the first page, I want the first page to hook them. I don't not necessarily the first panel, but I'd like the first page to hook them. But I also feel like you, at the end of every page, there should be something, a question or something they want to know or some reveal that they know is coming that encourages them to turn the page at the end of every page. I want something even it can be it can be small. It doesn't have to be, sure. you know, it doesn't have to be some big explosive event, but something small that gets them to turn that page every, every time. I agree with that. And I. I usually find that later in the process. I think if, if I try to do that every page, it takes me forever to write the damn thing. Yeah. And so I, I work big to small. So like I'll come up with a couple of sentences that are what the issue is about. And then a paragraph or sentence or two for each scene that I have roughly how many pages it's going to be. And then a sentence for each page. And then from there I write the book and I don't worry about what you're saying there until I get to the place where I've got my rough panel descriptions. And then I'm like, okay, well, where's the best page term between these two pages? Where's the best page term? What's the best right. question? Because if you, I mean, if you spend too much time trying to write one page comics for 20 pages, you drive yourself insane. <laughs> you do want there to be like a compelling reason to turn the page or like a cool, you want your reveals to happen on page turns or at least on page breaks. If you can. It's tough. It's tough, folks. We have a, we have a hard job. Yes, grueling. Just awful. <laughs> Just awful. Um, but yeah, that, that first issue thing um, is something I've been thinking a lot about because I feel like my, my skill is usually to grab people like a couple issues in and then they read, yeah. like, like I tell longer form stories better and I want to get better at that, like grab them in the first issue. And the one time I think I really nailed it is Avengers Arena. I think it's got a great final page, but it's also the book that people hate the first issue the most because people didn't like the concept and it really hammers home the concept. So that means you did you did your job. Got terrible reviews on that first issue, and then by the end of the series, we had great reviews. But I think the first issue was very effective in in selling the premise. All right, there you go. There's two kernels of genius. I guess it's four. Two. Four kernels of. Genius. Two kernels. I don't know. I really lost my light here. I'm very dark. I know. I know. It's getting. I guess the I sun is going down on you. Turn. Look at this. I'm warming up, folks. I'm gonna have weird shadows on my face. So I'm gonna take you to the other side of the room. You see my Christmas tree, which is not turned on right now. Is that your Star Wars Christmas tree? Yes. That's a cool Ooh, tree. You want to look at it? Let's yeah. Let's see the tree. Here, I'll plug it in. 
Nice. Yeah. My, so my mother has an obsession with Hallmark, Hallmark ornaments. They're cool ornaments. Has been buying Hallmark ornaments uh, most of my life. By the way, went the wrong way here. Why can't I get the tree in the shot? There we go. I don't know. Um, and uh, in 1996 or seven, they started putting a Star Wars one because they did the re-release. Right. And she has bought me every single Star Wars ornament that they put out since then. So I've got That's like awesome. that tree's probably worth a fortune. Thirty some. The problem is they look like the action figures, but the yeah. but they don't bend. Right. Right. Like they're plastic, and they look. They break like a motherfucker. Like they, these things fall apart because they get dry. And you put them in the basement and they get dried out. And every year you'll take them apart. You pull them out of the like protective plastic case that they're in, and they'll be in pieces. Like there's a Jawa holding the the bolt thing into um, R2D2 that has never been attached. Like from the first year, I bought it. The, I got it for the, for Christmas the first year. I never opened them the first year because I get them on Christmas morning. Right. And I opened it the next year, and it had the glue had broken, and it's in two pieces. Sorry. Hey, check this out. What? So when I was a kid, I had a horrific dental experience. I had a dentist who was just like, uh. Like the dentist from Little Shop of Horrors. He, he was awful. He was torturous. Steve Martin was your dentist? Pretty much. And uh, and we stopped going to that dentist, but I was terrified of the dentist after that. And my mom would bribe me whenever we had a dentist that we had to go to, uh, that I had to go to the dentist. She would take me to uh, Rose's department store and get me a Star Wars toy. And when I was a kid, I wanted the Dubak from Star Wars, that lizard guy. I know what Dubak is, Paul. Yeah. I don't know how what you know. You got a tree, but I don't see the Dubak on it. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, I had to start going to a dentist again to do some horrific stuff recently. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking down the barrel of, uh, of several months of, of horrific dental stuff that I'm going to be doing. And uh, so I went in the comic shop, the comic cave, and look what they had. A Dubak. A, a Dubak. Well, he still moves. So it's just like I was a kid again. I love the legs that go down the side. Oh yeah, that was the, that was uh, the height of technology. In the and you like don't you like push the figure down in the hole? Yeah, he just goes in a hole. <laughs> so why are the legs brown? I guess because the saddle. Well, he's in a saddle. He's he's got furry leg chaps. Oh, okay. Anyway, I just thought of Star Wars and I thought of my do back and how awesome he is. That's fantastic. All right, are we at story time? Yeah, I mean, you just told a story, but yeah. Yeah, that wasn't a story. That's about do-backs. All right, should I really do this, Dennis? Should I read this thing? Yes. All right, so... Well, um, if we had been smart, you would have sent it to me, and I would read it after you tell the story. But, no, that's not... That would never happen. Um, so, way back when, when I was trying to break in as a writer, and I didn't know how to get into comics, I was doing a lot of prose. And I was going to the World Horror Convention, and, and I was a member of the Horror Writers Association, and things like that. And uh, and one of the things that they did at the at the World Horror Convention every year was what they called the Gross Out Contest. And I thought it would be a great way to get my name out there and get my face out there and, and to introduce myself to people because I don't like talking to people. I hate cold introductions. I hate going up to someone and saying, hi, my name is Cullen. I, I'm just not good at that. But if I do something... And that gives people something to talk to me about, then I'm, I'm fine. 
Otherwise, I'm, it makes I'm, it so people want to talk to you, which is not yeah. Normal. Otherwise, I'm just shut down with fear of people, you know. Sure. So I started entering these gross-out contests. So I have entered the gross-out contest. Well, the first time I entered it, I won first place. Boom! <laughs> right. Next year I entered it, first place. Boom! Third year, boom! You're only supposed to win three times and you have to retire. Right. Um, but then they had an unofficial gross out contest in Toronto. Boom. If I enter, I win because apparently I'm gross. Super gross. So you won four um, in a row. But what's that? You won four in a row. Yes. Four. Yeah. And then there was a fifth one that was like a, at a small convention that they just decided to try to throw a gross out contest together. I won that one too. Um, anyways, five the, yes, five, five shots, five kills. So were they, were they short shorts? Or They're the, super short in these, okay. these things. You usually have about three minutes and at three minutes, the audience either gives you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And if they get a thumbs down, they yank you off the stage. Um, right. uh, I'm not proud of these stories <laughs> as, the, <laughs> as time has gone on. I have felt, uh, more and more that these stories are not reflective of who I am as a writer and as a creator and as a human being. I'll be the judge of that. Yeah. Um, but Dennis convinced me to read one of these um, tonight on our, on our recording. So if you are a child or if there you are children, child, listening, yeah. get out, turn it off, watch it later or don't watch it at all. This is our disclaimer. This is not for children. This is not for kids. And this is the nicest one of the of the the stories I've written. This one is the one that is the least offensive. Maybe if this is popular, I'll read some of the others. <laughs> but this one is the least. This was the first one I, I won with. Uh, and to your to your point about first lines, I wrote this story. And as I entered the the contest, I heard someone say to someone else. Make sure your first line's good, because if it's not, they'll boo you off the stage. So I went back to my room and rewrote the story with a different beginning, because I wanted it to be uh, uh, have more uh, punch. Now, I haven't read this story in a long time. I usually practice it quite a bit, because there's you have to put some energy and effort into this. You got it. So we're going to read it. I'm going to have to wash myself out here, because i got to have a light on this story. All right, the name of this story, this, this story was written in 2003, and, and the title I was is seven The years Lord, old when this was say that again? I was seven years old. When yes, this well, when you were seven, I was entering the gross-out contest. Oh, I was 22. Oh, well, when you were 22, I was entering the gross-out contest. And uh, The Lord's Below is the title, and here we go. It's only a couple pages, and, and it goes pretty fast because I read them very, very fast. It's part of my style. Shut up and read it. All right, ready? I never... Let me me restart. I'm I'm nervous. Let me count you down. No, don't. Don't count me down. I never should have drank those fucking sea monkeys. I have read the Mad Arab's infamous tome and deliberated over Wolfram's treatise on demonology. I've undertaken the black pilgrimage and visited blasted heaths where unlearned men may become lost forever. 
I've ground the powder of Ibn Ghazi and treated with blasphemous entities from beyond the veil of reason. Why, then, was I never warned of the dangers of sea monkeys? Clutching at my stomach, I awoke. Deep in my lower abdomen, I felt a grumbling, expanding pressure, punctuated by sudden stabs of pain. I rolled out of bed, clammy sweat beating upon my brow, as I realized with a cold, calculating wisdom of a wizened sorcerer that if I did not move quickly, I would surely shit my pajamas. Rushing from the bedroom, I kicked a small plastic aquarium across the floor. The aquarium, now empty and dry, reminded me of my ritualistic experiments from earlier in the evening. I, the, I thought of the tiny sea monkeys I had raised from their cryptobiotic stasis, the sea monkeys I had loved and nurtured, the sea monkeys I had drank down like a vengeful deity. I hobbled down the hall, hunched over, clenching my ass cheeks tightly to prevent a loathsome spew. I threw open the bathroom door, shoved my pajama bottoms to my ankles, and collapsed upon the cold toilet seat just before a spatter of feces decorated the interior of the porcelain bowl-like stucco. What followed was an oozing, curling, snake-like rope of excrement, uncoiling into the toilet with the consistency of a half-melted marathon bar. Squishing and squirting sounds marked the passage of the waste. The steaming, putrid stink was ghastly, like rotten eggs and boiled spinach. Sweat licked my inner thighs, and my anus itched, but the unearthly bowel movement showed no signs of slowing. Flatulence like whale song, echoed from the bowl. I had performed the ritual incorrectly. The thought chilled me as the shit undulated unfettered from my gibbering cavity. (laughs) Uh, I reached back to flush, but already the esoteric excretia had overfilled the bowl, an unholy stew of ass milk flooding up from beneath me to spatter the floor. There was no end in sight. My anal canal distended. My overworked asshole unfolded like flower petals. I bit down on my lower lip and gripped the sides of the toilet as I tried to rid myself of this demoniac diarrhea. My knees knocked together. I grunted and squeezed. A painful colony of hemorrhoids puffed up like olives on the vine along the walls of my anus, to the point of bursting. A sudden spray of brown and red mist erupted from between my legs, speckling my face. I cried out. A burning mixture of solid, loose, and liquid excretions plopped into the bowl in a steady staccato. I tried to pinch off the stream of feces as a mounting mass pushed its way from my rectum. A convulsion racked my body, and I felt myself rising from the seat. Suddenly, I was hurled to the floor with a heap of shit spilling out of me. My face smacked against the tile, loosening a couple of my teeth. Still, the flow continued as my tender skin and my anus ripped, tearing with a sound like wet cloth. My hemorrhoids audibly popped and I tore as I felt claws force their way from my puckering asshole, spreading my cheeks. A living, thrashing creature pulled itself from my bowels. I'd lie on the floor in a spreading pool of blood and shit afterbirth as my body continued to disgorge itself. I chanced to look back. The creature's shrimp-like carapace was segmented, and shit, like loose-meat lava, oozed between the plates of its shell. Wiry pubic hairs sprouted from its chin like a goatee. Undigested bits of matter and bloody ragged strips of my flesh decorated its body. Its head peaked in a crown-like crest, and I groaned as I saw that one of the knob spires of its crown was in actuality the fleshy remains of my left testicle. Horribly. 
It did not fully withdraw from my body. Instead, I was dragged backward, face first through my own shit and blood, as the thing that emerged from my palpitating muscle of my sphincter flopped towards the toilet. A pulsing gray vein of excrement down the center of its semi-transparent body, spurting out the creature's orifice and flooding into my own a fecal enema. I clawed towards the door. My fingernails dug trails in the foamy mess covering the linoleum. Creamy shit covered my lips and caked my eyelashes. Shit filled my nose, running down my nasal passages and into my mouth. I staggered to my feet. Last night's beef wellington dribbled down my legs. The thing curled its body and rose up before me. It spoke in guttural, slurping voice. Shit like spoiled chocolate pudding oozed from between its lips. I shuddered at its words and the lips of my stretched anus quivered in terror at the dreadful vistas of reality it revealed. I am but the first, it hissed. With a flesh-tearing jerk, the creature pulled itself free from my grit-slathered crack. It slithered, slithered across the floor and splashed into the toilet, seeking cyclopean seascapes with, with a gurgling flush. But its last words had caused the bowels of my sanity to evacuate. The old ones were, it said. The old ones are. And the old ones shall be again. Already, my sphincter was dilating anew. Not in the spaces you know, but between them. <laughs> okay, first of all, that was amazing. And thank you very, very much. Horrifying. Secondly, it's horrifying to read this. this episode, My Anus Itched. No, no. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> I think I'm going to cut that out. I don't like it. It's a great. That was so good. I'm that was so it. good. Don't cut it. People will love that. Tell well, someone below how much how right I am and how much you loved it. All right. Well, there you go. Gross out story number one. If you want to hear some of the others, they're much much worse. I mean, they're probably better written, but uh, much much uh, more disgusting and horrifying. Well, that was awesome. Thank you. All right, folks. My performance is usually better, but anyway, leave us comments, like Dennis said. And yeah, more questions. We can open every we can open every episode with questions if you want. Yeah, I like that. Let's do that. Or things you want to hear us talk about. Um, I'm going to go see uh, Into the Spider Verse tonight, which I am told by people who are very biased that it is fantastic. But evidently, that's the consensus. I'm very excited to see it. I hope it's wonderful. All right, folks. Take care. Salute.